Chapter 8 of Key Out of Time by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Key Out of Time. Chapter 8 The Free Rovers. Twilight made a gray world where one could not trace the true meeting of land and water, sea and sky. Surely the haze about them was more than just the normal dusk of coming night. Ross balanced in the middle of the skiff as it bobbed along the swell of waves inside a barrier reef. To his mind the craft carrying the three of them and their net of supplies was too frail, rode too high. But Carrara, paddling in the bow, Loketh at the stern, seemed to be content, and Ross could not, for pride's sake, question their competency. He comforted himself with the knowledge that no agent was able to absorb every primitive skill and Carrara's people had explored the Pacific in outrigger canoes hardly more stable than their present vessel, navigating by currents and stars. Smothering his feeling of helplessness and the slow anger that roused in him, the Terran busied himself with study of sort. They had had the longer part of the day in the cave before Loketh would agree to venture out of hiding and paddle south. Ross, using the analyzer, had, with Loketh's aid, set about learning what he could of the native tongue. Now possessed of a working vocabulary of clicked words, he was able to follow Loketh's speech so that translation through the dolphins was not necessary except for complicated directions. Also, he had a more detailed briefing of the present situation on Hawaika. Enough to know that they might be embarking on a mad venture. The citadel of the Fawana was distinctly forbidden ground, not only for Loketh's people, but also for the Fawana's Hawaiian followers, who were housed and labored in an outer ring of the fortification come village. Those natives were, Ross gathered, a hereditary corps of servants and warriors, born to that status and not recruited from the native population at large. As such, they were armored by the magic of their masters. If the Fawana are so powerful, Ross had demanded, why do you go with us against them? To depend so heavily on the native made him uneasy. The Hawaiian looked to Carrara. One of his hands raised, his finger sketched a sign toward the girl. With the sea-maid and her magic I do not fear. He paused before adding, Always has it been said of me, and to me, that I am a useless one fit only to do women's tasks. No word-weaver shall ever chant my battle-deeds in the great hall of Zahur. I, who am Zahur's true son, cannot carry my sword in any lord's train. But now you offer me one of the great-to-be-remembered quests. If I go, so may I prove that I am a man, even if I go limpingly. There is nothing the Fawana can do to me which is worse than what the Shadow has already done. Choosing to follow you, I may stand up to face Zahur in his own hall, show him that the blood of his house has not been drained from my veins because I walk crookedly." There was such bitter fire, not only in the sputtering rush of Loketh's words, but in his eyes, his face, the wry twist of his lips, that Ross believed him. The Terran no longer had any doubts that the castle outcast was willing to brave the unknown terrors of the Fowana Keep, not just to aid Ross, 
whom he considered himself bound to serve by the customs of his people, but because he saw in this venture a chance to gain what he had never had, a place in his warrior culture. Shut off from the normal life of his people, he had early turned to the sea. His twisted leg had not proved a handicap in the water, and he stated with confidence that he was the best swimmer in the castle. Not that the men of his father's following had taken greatly to the sea, which they looked upon merely as a way of preying upon the true sea-rovers. The reef on which the ships had been wrecked was a snare of sorts, first by the whim of nature when wind and current piled up the trading ships there. Then Ross was startled when Loketh elaborated on a later development of that trap. So Zahur returned from this meeting and set up a great magic among the rock, according to the spells he was taught. Now ships are drawn there, so the wrecks have been many, and Zahur becomes an even greater lord, with many men coming to take sword-oath under him. This magic, asked Ross, of what manner is it, and where did Zahur obtain it? It is fashioned so, Loketh sketched two straight lines in the air not curved as a sword, and the color of water under a storm-sky, both rods being as tall as a man. There was much care to set them in place. That was done by a man of Glickmas. A man of Glickmas? Glickmas is now the high lord of the Ichio. He is blood-kin to Zahur, yet Zahur must take sword-oath to send to Glickmas a fourth of all his sea-gleanings for a year in payment for this magic and Glickmas. Where did he get it? From the Fawana? Loketh made an emphatic denial of that. No! The Fawana have spoken out against their use, making even greater ill-feeling between the old ones and the coast people. It is said that Glickmas saw a great wonder in the sky and followed it to a high place of his own country. A mountain broke in twain, and a voice issued forth from the rent, calling that the lord of the country come and stand to hear it. When Glickmas did so, he was told that the magic would be his. Then the mountain closed again, and he found many strange things upon the ground. As he uses them, they make him akin to the Fawana in power. Some he gives to those who are his blood kin, and together they will be great until they close their fists not only upon the sea-rovers, but upon the Fawana also. This they have come to believe. But you do not? Carrara asked then. I do not know, Sea Maid. The time is coming when perhaps they shall have their chance to prove how strong is their magic. Already the rovers gather in fleets as they never did before, and it seems that they too have found a new magic, for the ships fly through the water, depending no longer on wind-filling sails or upon strong arms of men at long paddles. There is a struggle before us, but that you must know, being who and what you are, sea-maid. And what do you think I am? What do you think Ross is? If the Fawana dwell on land and hold old knowledge and power beyond our reckoning in their two hands, he replied, then it is possible that the same could have roots in the sea. It is my belief that you are of the shades, but not the shadow. And this warrior is also of your kind, but perhaps in different degree, 
putting into action your desires and wishes. Thus, if you go up against the Foana, you shall be well matched, kind to kind." Nice to be so certain of that, Ross thought. He did not share Loketh's confidence on that subject. "'The shades, the shadow,' Carrara persisted. "'What are these, Loketh?' An odd expression crossed the Hawaiian's face. "'Are those not known to you, sea-maid? Indeed, then you are of a breed different from the men of land. The shades are those of power who may come to the aid of men should it be their desire to influence the future. And the shadow, the shadow is that which ends all, men, hope, good, to which there is no appeal, and which holds a vast and enduring hatred for that which has life and full substance. So Zahur has this new magic. Is it the gift of shades or shadow? Ross brought them back to the subject which had sparked in him a small warning signal. Zahur prospers mightily. Loketh's answer was ambiguous. And so the shadow could not provide such magic? the Terran pushed. But before the Hawaiian had a chance to answer, Carrara added another question. But you believe that it did? I do not know. Only the magic has made Zahur a part of Glickmas, and Glickmas is now perhaps a part of that which spoke from the mountain. It is not well to accept gifts which tie one man to another unless there is from the first a saying of how deep that bond may run. I think you are wise in that, Loketh, Carrara said. But the uneasiness had grown in Ross. Alien powers, out of a mountain heart, passed from one lord to another, and on the other hand the rover's sudden magic in turn, lending their ships wings. The two facts balanced in an odd way. Back on Terra there had been those sudden and unaccountable jumps in technical knowledge on the part of the enemy, jumps which had set in action the whole time-travel service of which he had become a part. And these jumps had not been the result of normal research. They had come from the looting of derelict spaceships wrecked on his world in the far past. Could driblets of the same stellar knowledge have been here deliberately fed to warring communities? He asked Loketh about the possibility of space-born explorers, but to the Hawaiian that was a totally foreign conception. The stars, for Loketh, were the doorways and windows of the shades and he treated the suggestion of space travel as perhaps natural to those all-powerful specters, but certainly not for beings like himself. There was no hint that Hawaika had been openly visited by a galactic ship, though that did not bar such landings. The planet was, Ross thought, thinly populated. Whole sections of the interiors of the larger islands were wilderness and this world must be in the same state of only partial occupation as his own earth had been in the Bronze Age, when tribes on the march had fanned out into virgin wilderness great forests and steppes unwalked by man before their coming. Now as he balanced in the canoe and tried to keep his mind off the queasiness in his middle, and the insecurity of the one thickness of the sea-creature hide stretched over a bone framework which made up the craft between his person and the water, Ross still mulled over what might be true. Had the galactic invaders for their own purposes begun to meddle here, 
leaking weapons or tools to upset what must be a very delicate balance of power. Why? To bring on a conflict which would occupy the native population to the point of exhaustion or depopulation? So they could win a world for their own purposes, without effort or risk on their part? Such cold-blooded fishing in carefully troubled waters fitted very well with the persons of the Baldies as he had known them on Terra. And he could not set aside that memory of this very coast as he had seen it through the peep, the castle in ruins, tall pylons reaching from the land into the sea. Was this the beginning of that change which would end in the Hawaika of his own time, empty of intelligent life, shattered into a loose network of islands? This fog is strange. Carrara's words startled Ross to return to the here and now. The haze he had been only half conscious of when they had put out from the tiny secret bay where Loketh kept his boat was truly a fog, piling up in soft billows and cutting down visibility with speed. The Foana! Loketh's answer was sharp, a recognition of danger. Their magic! They hide their place so! There is trouble! trouble on the move. Do we land, then? Ross did not ascribe the present blotting out of the landscape to any real manipulation of nature on the part of the all-powerful Foana. Too many times the reputations of medicine men have been so enhanced by coincidence. But he did doubt the wisdom of trying to bore ahead blindly in this murk. Tawa and Tino Rao can guide us, Carrara reminded him. Throw out the rope, Ross. What is above water will not confuse them." He moved cautiously, striving to adapt his actions to the swing of the boat. The line was ready coiled to hand, and he tossed the loose end overboard, to feel the cord jerked taut as one of the dolphins caught it up. They were being towed now, though both paddlers reinforced the forward tug with their efforts. The curtain gathering above the surface of the water did not hamper the swimmers beneath its surface, and Ross felt relief. He turned his head to speak to Loketh. How near are we? The mist had thickened to the point that, close as the native was, the lines of his body blurred. His clicking answer seemed distorted too, almost as if the fog had altered not only his form but his personality. Maybe very soon now. We must see the sea-gate before we are sure." "'And if we aren't able to see that?' challenged Ross. "'The sea-gate is above and below the water. Those who obey the sea-maid, who are able to speak thought to thought, will find it if we cannot.' "'But they were never to reach that goal,' Carrara gave warning. "'There are ships about.' Ross knew that the dolphins had told her. He demanded in turn, what kind? Larger, much larger than this. Then Loketh broke in. A rover raider, three of them. Ross frowned. He was the cripple here. The other two, with their ability to communicate with the dolphins, were the sighted, he the blind. And he resented his handicap in a burst of bitterness, which must have colored his tone as he ordered, Head in shore, now. Once on land, even in the fog, he felt that they had the advantage in any hide-and-seek which might ensue with this superior enemy force. But afloat he was helpless and vulnerable, a state Ross did not accept easily. 
No, Loketh returned as sharply. There is no place to land along the cliff. We are between two of the ships, Carrara reported. Your paddles, Ross schooled his voice to a whisper. Hold them, don't use them. Let the dolphins take us on. In the fog, if we make no sound, we may get by the ships. Right, Carrara agreed, and he heard an assenting grunt from Loketh. They were moving very slowly. Strong as the dolphins were, they dared not expend all their strength on towing the skiff too fast. Ross thought furiously. Perhaps the sea could be their way of escape if the need arose. He had no idea why raiding ships were moving under the cover of fog into the vicinity of the Fawana Citadel. But the Terran's knowledge of tactics led him to guess that this impending visit was not anticipated by the Fawana, nor was it a friendly one. And, as veteran seamen, who should normally be wary of fog as thick as this, the rovers themselves must have a driving reason, or some safeguard which led them here now. But dared the three spill out of their boat, trust to their swimming ability and that of the dolphins, and invade the Foana Seagate so? Could they use the coming rover attack as a cover for their own invasion of the hold? Ross considered that the odds in their favor were beginning to look better. He whispered his idea and began to prepare their gear. The boat was still headed for the shore the three could not see. But they could hear sounds out of the white cotton wall which told them how completely they were boxed in by the raiders. Creaks, whispers, noises, Ross could not readily identify, carried across the waves. Before leaving the cave and beginning this voyage, they had introduced Loketh to the use of the gill-pack, made him practice in the depths of the cave-pool with one of the extras drawn through the gate among the supplies. Now all three were equipped with water-aid, and they could be gone in the sea before the trap closed. "'The supply-net,' Ross warned Carrara. A moment or two later there was a small bump against the skiff at his left hand. He cautiously raised the collection of containers and eased the burden into the water, knowing that one of the dolphins would take charge of it. However, he was not prepared for what happened next. Under him the boat lurched first one way and then the other, in sharp jerks, as if the dolphins were trying to spill them into the sea. Ross heard Carrara call out, her voice thin and frightened. "'Tawa! Tino Rao! They have gone mad! They will not listen!' The boat raced in a zigzag path. Loketh clutched at Ross, striving to steady him, to keep the boat on an even keel. "'The Fawana!' Just as Loketh cried out, Carrara plunged over the prow of the boat, whether by design or chance, Ross did not know. And then the craft whirled about, smashed side against side with a dark bulk looming out of the fog. Above, Ross heard cries knew that they had crashed against one of the raiders. He fought to retain his balance, but he had been knocked to the bottom of the boat against Loketh, and they struggled together, unable to move during a precious second or two. Out of the air above their heads dropped a mass of waving strands which enveloped both of them. The stuff was adhesive, slimy. Ross let out a choked cry as the lines tightened about his arms and body, pinioning him. Those tightened, wove a net. Now he was being drawn up out of the plunging skiff, a helpless captive. 
his flailing legs, still free of the slimy cords, struck against the side of the larger ship. Then he swung in, over the well of the deck, thudded down on that surface with a bruising force, unable to understand anything except that he had been taken prisoner by a very effective device. Loketh dropped beside him, but Carrara was not brought in, and Ross held out to that small bit of hope. Had she made it to freedom by dropping into the water before the rovers netted them? He could see men gathering about him, massed and distorted in the fog. When he was rolled across the deck, boosted over the edge of a hatch and knew an instant of terror as he fell into the depth below. How long was he unconscious? It could not have been very long, Ross decided, as he opened his eyes on dark, heard the small sounds of the ship. He lay very still, trying to remember, to gather his wits before he tried to flex his arms. They were held tight to his sides by strands which no longer seemed slimy, but were wrinkling as they dried. There was an odor from them which gagged him. But there was no loosening of those loops in spite of his struggles, which grew more intense as his strength returned. And at last he lay panting, knowing there was no easy way of escape from here. End of chapter 8